this is probably one of their biggest contributor to their number one reason why startup fails. Hey everybody, my name is Andrew Tran. I'm a marketing branding strategist. I help organizations, their teams, their team leaders deliver and execute on the challenges they're facing from marketing campaigns to market entry activity all the way through to strategy and planning. If you want to hit me up, check out my website. It's www.andrewtran.asia. You can find out a little bit more about me. You can book time with me. But until then, Let's get on with the show. My next guest is Jonathan Chack. He's an entrepreneur having started multiple businesses in various industries. He's a growth hacker. He's also a startup consultant based in Sydney, Australia by way of Hong Kong. Jonathan also has extensive experience working with the Australian government, assisting entrepreneurs access government grant funding. He's currently a startup coach at the University of New South Wales, helping hundreds of founders with their startup journey. Our chat was awesome. We got to talk about his career up to date, how he got into the startup scene, how that kind of led to his work with the government, and also how he's now like a mentor and advisor for entrepreneurial programs in the University of Sydney and University of New South Wales. Finally, we talked about his foray into the coffee business. That's an interesting chat in itself, but without further ado, give it up for Jonathan Chat. Firstly, I want to say thank you for coming on. And no problem, my pleasure. No worries. And like, I think what you have, your story uh, as a business owner, but also what you're doing right now is so relevant to what everyone's going through, whether or not they're in startup world or they're an organization like large organization or even a small organization, like an established small business. I think what you have from a story perspective and your experience and knowledge uh, around operations um, is so important. But for those who aren't familiar with your work, would you be able to let people know uh, what you do? Sure, yeah. So currently, I am a startup coach at um, one of the universities in Australia, University of New South Wales. Um, we've got a, a program called the Founders Program where we have um, different pre-accelerators, accelerators, and coaching services available for the university students, alumni, or current staff who wants to embark in their entrepreneur journey. If they're just starting out, they have a startup idea and they don't know where to go, they can come to the Founders Program, you know, book one-on-one -on -one with um, coaches like myself. Um, we can talk you through it. If you, um, you know, face roadblocks, we can um, give you advice and connect you to the right people. So that's my day-to-day -day job right now. Um, prior to, um, in joining the university, I've spent some time with the Australian state government, the New South Wales state government, in one of the teams where we give out um, government grant funding to early stage startups um, and helping them to build their first product. It's called the MVP grant uh, for very obvious reasons, obviously. Um, and during my time with, um, with the state government, I have um, assessed over 500 grant applications from startup founders. And I work very closely with them, you know, helping them with their application and, you know, answering any questions. And you know, that's, that's how I got to hear a lot of um, startup stories, you know, and the new ideas, um, you know, I'm virtually at the cutting edge of um, what the Australian um, startup ecosystem is happening. Um, so that was um, a very insightful experience for me as well. So 
I've got experience with um, government and the university, but that's only my recent years, right? Um, prior to that, I'm actually a startup founder myself, like um, for the last 15 years. I've um, built five businesses myself, failed many times, you know, raised capital, failed more, and was lucky to have um, a small exit with one of my businesses. Mm-hmm. So I've, I was able to, um, you know, accumulate um, 15 years of um, operational experience, you know, how, how we get started with a startup, some of their really painful lessons learned, and, and translate that into helping the next generation of entrepreneurs um, in Australia, at least um, for now, um, through the government and the university channel. And now, like, I fully realize that's my passion, and I've been, you know, very involved with the education space in, you know, bringing the the new generation of entrepreneurs out there. So currently I'm developing my own online course, literally titled test your own idea and build your first product within four weeks. And yes, you don't need to code. Um, yeah, hopefully um, um, I can I can share some of, some of my experience and um, some of the lessons learned here today with you and the audience. Yeah, thank you so much. And it, it's amazing that you've, you've had to assess over 500 uh, applicants right when you were doing your time over at the state government uh what what were some of the things that you got out of it that uh you know that would help like startups now with regards to even just even general grant funding from a small business perspective or you know trying to get vc funding in general right okay um i guess we'll we'll start from the beginning the biggest myth out there right with um you know, entrepreneurs have, I have an idea and I want to build a product, right? The typical scenario is I have an idea. I've done a lot of um, research, you know, I've read numerous industry reports. I've pulled out all the numbers. I've done a lot of modeling and analysis and stuff like that. I've talked to friends and families. I've talked to some potential customers. I've done surveys, focus groups, and, you know, my, my idea is fully validated. I've also done three years of financial projections, and I'm pretty sure that it's going to be a big hit. So all I need right now is find me a tech co-founder because I'm not a coder, right? Um, we just need someone technical to build a solution for me or get me some funding so I can build a, build a solution and push it out there to the market. So that's the typical scenario. Nine times out of 10, every, like, yeah, for, for every, every 10 stuff founders that I've met, none of them fits into that category. Um, there's nothing wrong with that because um, that's, we, we, we all start somewhere. And when, when I first started, I, I kind of believe in that as well. Um, but the, the big, this is probably one of their biggest contributor to their number one reason why startup fails in the entire world. Like that is no market need. We always go out there to build products that nobody wants. So with my, you know, going, uh, with my experience going through 500 um, grant applications, like a lot of them actually falls into this category. And with um, my coaching um, through the university, I've coached over 100 founders one-on-one. Um, again, yeah, 9.5 out of 10 of them actually fits into that category. So that, that has got me to develop my own online course in, um, you know, um, preaching you know what exactly should you do when you have that idea moment we shouldn't start from a destination perspective you know usually we when we have an idea moment we vocalize it in terms of a solution i I want to build a platform i want to build this widget i'm going to build this this that right um but we never really um talk through our rationale in understanding a problem and who the customers are, what their motivations are, why do they have this problem and what kind of solutions they need and what's the motivation behind, you know, 
that change, right? Usually with startup, it's all, it's all about change and, you know, change of behavior is a disruption. You know, we change the way uh, the supply chain actually works in a particular industry. Like, what's the actual motivation? I think this is an extremely important point. Like, um, most people focus on the solution, but not the motivation. Right, right. And do you find, like, is there a system that you kind of teach uh, to, to, help, uh, to help potential founders validate their, their problem and, and how they solve it into the market? Yes, I do, because um, I, I agree. Like, um, we, I found that, you know, having frameworks or methodology or structure content, uh, it's easier to follow for first-timers. First, um, first um, that's why I have developed the six-steps MVP letter. So nice. it's from, you know, your idea moment until you actually, you're permitted to go out there and build your first product. Like there's six steps in there. Um, I've got some templates and methodologies to guide you through, you know, how, how can you actually go through your idea and list out all of the assumptions very quickly so you know exactly what, what you are assuming and what actually are facts and, and um, you know, how, how do we de define um, the first group of people that we're going to test with. I call them the guinea pigs. That's with a lot of um, scientific um, experiments. So this is um, all based on the Lean Startup methodology where it's a scientific methodology to test out business ideas. Um, and then as you go through the MVP letter, you, you go through checkpoints. Um, we do different exercises to validate the problem. And until you get to a certain point, um, I also have some material in, in helping um, the non-coders out there. How do we actually stitch up an MVP you know using existing tools it's actually easier than we think but um most people um when when we think of an idea go, oh no actually I, I i need to find a, a guru um, a coder to, to build a solution for us but you know in, in a testing phase you don't really need that yeah that's cool I, and i like the fact that you mentioned lean design uh you know I, I, for anyone who's kind of listening at home like lean design uh is is a methodology that kind of helps i think it was developed by ash maria uh, and it was helped to kind of develop to figure out, you know, whether or not a particular idea had legs in it, and there was some checkpoints around it. Um, since then, people have, you know, people have looked at it, taken it, and and made, modified it to to their approach. I know Atlassian has done that kind of experience design, yeah, uh, and, sure. and and they've modeled it too. I've done it myself. Uh, I've modeled it, and and to make it more, work more so from a business marketing perspective not so much from, mm. a, from an MVP startup perspective but still yeah. the same principles uh, understanding who your target audience is and understanding the the you know the problem of which you're trying to solve and the hypothesis around that so I think it's yeah I think it's really cool uh, that you're using a lean design kind of aspect as well um, which kind of leads me to you know you mentioned before like you're, you're at the forefront when it came to uh, like the startup culture mentality in Sydney um, I know that you also did something like in Hong Kong as well, like a startup through there. Would you be able to shed some light? Because that's pretty interesting, man. Right. Um, so my venture in Hong Kong is not so much a startup. It's just a typical cafe. Like, um, yeah, we all had a dream of, you know, opening our own cafe and do things a certain way. And that's exactly what I did. I brought Australian coffee um, over to Hong Kong in, in a particular way that um, we, we do it. Like it was um, 2013, 14. It's, right. it's quite recent. So I'm, I'm definitely not the pioneer um, in, in bringing Australian coffee to Hong Kong. And, and Hong Kong has um, very, very good coffee anyway. Um, locally, like they have brewers and stuff like that. But um, the, the thing is, um, 
it, it all started with the trip. Like I, I, I was born in Hong Kong and came to Australia twenty uh, something years ago. Um, but I, I visit Hong Kong frequently on a on an yearly basis, sometimes twice a year, um, to visit families and you know just holidays, whatever. Um, and it, it all started with one of the trips. I was just um, strolling along Cory Bay um, with one of my friends. So Cory Bay is um, in the Hong Kong Island on, on the on the eastern side, um, where there is a hub there. Um, with um, a lot of big corporates and you know AAA buildings and um, yeah those kind of it's, it's a commercial area and we're just strolling along and I, I was going through these um, because in Hong Kong like you don't walk on the street like you go through um, commercial buildings uh, they've got tunnels and, and escalators so you can actually go inside through the buildings you don't have to be exposed to the sun and and, and the rain and all that so it's very indoorsy um, so walking through and I go ah oh, very interesting like there there are a lot of um, um AAA gray buildings where in the lobby is so empty why why don't you throw a cafe in there you know in australia we we have those coffee cut stuff like you know it's 40 years ago like um you know you just um pull a bucket of water you you plug it into your coffee machine you don't even need power that kind of thing right um and that's how that's how we've been doing coffees like um you know for for, for the last uh, few decades um and i go oh maybe it was a bit interesting to um do that coffee cart thing in Hong Kong, because one of one of the biggest challenge um, in running a business in Hong Kong is the hefty rent, right? It's, it's all about the real estate, and you know, on the streets, like the rent is extremely high, but people still um, still rented because there's high traffic. So I was going, okay, if there is a, like a like that, that's my idea moment. What if the rent inside those AAA buildings are extremely affordable? Because they are not utilizing that space anyway, hmm. and just from that "what if" statement, um, I packed my bags, left my wife and my two-year-old son in Sydney. Well, of course, we had that conversation. They are fully supportive of me doing that, but you know, <laughs> like for for theatrical purpose, like I packed my bags, left them there, <laughs> and um, yeah, fly to Hong Kong. And started my um, coffee venture with um, one of my partners, whom I met with, um, whom I met in Australia um, 20 years ago. But he went back to Hong Kong, uh, so we, we were partnering. And he was the he was the one that who's, who's um, more familiar with Hong Kong. And I was kind of um, bringing that that um, entrepreneur what if spirit in into it. And we were just basically hustling. We we went to we went to the um, the the real estate company, like they're the biggest developer in Hong Kong. And we just went up to them and, and you know, 20, 40, 50 phone calls before we reached the right person, you know, they, they bounced you around. And it was, it was literally cold calling. Like we don't know anyone in that company. So we, we tried all we can go through LinkedIn, go through all the business cards that we have, you know, try to find that right person and say, hey, I want to rent a space in your um, lobby. And one thing leads to another, we finally got to them and started have, having that discussion. And um, we we were able to come up with a solution where they are happy with because normally when you when you start a cafe you have to drill things you have to lay cables and stuff like that and that's exactly what they don't want to do but they want extra revenue 
So we were able to you know, find that problem solution fit and, and say, okay, this is a solution that we, we're going to offer. We're not going to drill any holes because we're going to take this you know, um, um, old methodology you know, from four decades ago from Australia. We, we're just going to use our, use our own methodology and you know, we're going to keep this clean and everything. And if you don't like us one year later after our lease expires, you can just pick us out and you will have a clean and perfect lobby back for you. All right? So that's how we got in. Yes. Wow, that's cool. And what was, what was one of the big challenges when it comes to bringing Australian specialty coffee into Hong Kong? Like, w- did you have to go through quite a lot of customs like issues or anything like that to bring Australian beans into Hong Kong? Not particularly. Hong okay. Kong uh, has, has, has always been a free trade zone. So oh, okay. importing a lot of things into Hong Kong is um, quite straightforward. Like yep. you, you have to go through regularities, but you know um, it's it's relatively straightforward. Anyone can do it. And um, at the end, we decided to you know ship our coffee bins over there using DHL. It's probably one of the um, most stable and reliable um, career companies out there. So for any mission critical. Um, logistics out there you, you need I would strongly recommend DHL like I'm not affiliated with them but I'm, my experience with them is just great so um, yeah mission critical um, you, you, you got to use the best but um, wow. no, okay. um, not, 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 not so much um, groups and loops that you have to go through yep yep and like you know hindsight's always a great thing right but if you were to look back at it and you went hey if I had to do it again with the knowledge I have would there be a couple of things you would change from a product design perspective or even like a market launch um, aspect of it? Mm, probably not. Like um, you, you always have to go through, you know, the same things and explore the, the problems and the challenges, you know, hands-on right. to, to really pull things up, especially if, um, okay, this is another very interesting topic, actually. Um, in a startup scenario, it means that, um, you are trying to do something that has not been done before, right? But to build a business, usually in traditional sense, you are following proven methodologies, but replicating it in, in a different area. Like, like, let's say, for example, you know, property development. You know, you, you, you choose the right land, you look at the zoning, you know, you, you get constructions and, you know, DA approval and stuff like that, right? It, there's a standard procedures and you can really forecast your, your earnings based on your, your, your forecast and, and planning and stuff like that because it's been done so many, so many times, right? It's nothing new about it. It's just a different council. You probably work with that council um, already. Um, so those are more predictable. Um, but in startup, like using Steve Blank's definition, it's a temporary organization to search for the repeatable and scalable business model, right? So the keywords are temporary and is um, to search. So I think like with any new idea, especially if it has not been done before, you got to go through those hoops and you got to go through those challenges yourself and, you know, really take it on. Okay. Well, okay. This is a roadblock. How do we, how do we get around it? Okay. Now there's a roadblock because you don't understand certain things in that industry or in that context or, you know, something that you don't understand about your customer. You got to go out and find it, find out. Like, so if I was to do it again, I'll probably have to go through that same process unless um, I guess to, to speed that up slightly, you pull in someone that has, you know, a lot of knowledge in that area. But the downside is they have already got a preconceived idea of how to do things in that industry. That's why they are so experienced, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we get the balance? Like, and at that time, we, 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 we made a decision, okay, we, 
we're not going to um, hire a consultant that has you know done it before in Hong Kong because otherwise they would just do the same 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 way and without um, you know using some of their some of their um, ideas that we we've come up with um, to test it out they they'll never test it out so yeah that was the decision made. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a really good, uh, really good segue from from that from a startup perspective and the mentality around that. Uh, you know, with with Australia, like startup, uh, do you, and you also kind of read up what's happening around the startups, especially like in Southeast Asia, where it's just booming at the moment. Um, we've got some big ones here, like some couple of big unicorns from uh, you know from the logistics, like you know we got Grab, we got Gojek uh, over in Indonesia as well. What's is there? Is there some similarities that you kind of see between uh, you know the startup worlds like that you observe either from from you know, Australia versus Asia or Australia versus the US? Right. Okay. Um, I I can only speak to the Australian startup ecosystem because that's where I I'm in and I have the the most insights into it. and you know um, other 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 startup ecosystem around the world I'm not especially you know familiar with but um you know to to give you some general observations is that look and, and everyone talks about it the australian market is too small right like one one fundamental um, um concept in starting a startup and focusing it on on australian market is okay you you might have product market fit in sydney okay you, you've got that right and um now you go out and raise funds because you want to scale right Chances are you'll be able to scale to Melbourne, Brisbane, and Perth, right? Tassie maybe, right? <laughs> that's about it. That's about it. Like, let's say you can capture, you know, 100% of the market. Like, that's, that's all you have. Okay, comparatively, in, in the States, let's say, for example, you've got product market fit in New York. Then you go out and raise money. You can raise probably 10 times more than what you can raise in Australia because your, your product market fit is actually in New York. It means that it can very likely be um, scaled across other states or other cities um, around around um, states, which you know they have 300 million people, and we've only got 25. Um, so that is one thing that entrepreneurs need to really think about. Um, you know, where's your starting point? Even if you're in Australia, like um, does your idea actually work? You know, somehow online or you know in other parts of the world. And during that exploration process, I would encourage people to you know through social media, through online means test other markets um, as much as possible because you never know. Like I tried one campaign previously and targeted um, um, the Africa region, and I was buying leads. For as little as um, two cents a lead. What? Uh, yeah, That's two awesome. cents a lead. And I, I think I got I got seven thousand um, leads in three hours or something like that. Right. It was it was phenomenal. Like it was so eye opening. Like um, that was my first time ever um, running ads campaign on Facebook targeting the the African region. Right. You'll never be able to do that in Australia until you try and what what's two cents times um seven thousand right it's, it's not a lot of money and you can you can gain a lot of insights and wow okay there there might be um some kind of um, opportunity there so in, in a cross-border scenario i think yeah that's that's probably one of one of their one of the advantages that we have now especially everyone's um you know stuck at home <laughs> thanks to the pandemic um and it really you know forces us to you know think outside of our geographical region yeah, actually, you come up with a really good point because, you know, we, I was just talking to, I had a previous guest and 
they're specialized in the advertising kind of sector. And we were just talking about, hey, the difference between, say, you know, advertising in Asia or Southeast Asia in particular versus like other parts, like smaller countries like New Zealand or even Australia. And it's, it's the volume. It's, it's the amount of uh, potential reach that you have um, and the inventory, like how, like the inventory, the amount of supply with regards to the inventory. So therefore it just drives down the, the cost per click or the cost per acquisition or cost per lead mm-hmm. um, really, really well. And it becomes really cost effective when it comes to, uh, to testing, like doing quick, you know, market tests to see if there's a, if there's a bit of a fit uh, within, within a certain geographical area. So I think that's, that's really cool. I think that's, that's something that, I mean, maybe, maybe you might be able to say, uh, like, I would love to get your thoughts on it. It's something that I kind of see with startups here as well. When they start to, they're so, they're so uh, in, enthralled with regards to the MVP that sometimes they, they may not have actually uh, tried to test it out through digital means because they're like, oh, we're, we're in R&D mode. We, we want to make sure that our product is, you know, fit for market and it's, it's typically very biased because it's, it's a very small subset um, of, of anecdotal kind of comments with regards mm. to that particular product. Um, and I just mm-hmm. see, I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, do you agree when it comes to that? Like sometimes startups or startup founders, they, that they're, they're so, um, they're so entwined with, with what they do and, and within their work, they sometimes don't see the benefits of potentially scale uh, through digital. hundred percent. Um, and I think, that is actually exactly the the observation that I have, especially with very early stage founders. Like um, again, going back to my point of you know most idea moments are vocalized in the form of solution, and and at that point people just want to focus on the solution and build that thing out and push it out to the market. That's the only way people think that um, it, and they they can do to test out the market. But as a matter of fact, like that's probably the worst way you want to test out um, your, your proposition. You can, there's a number of other ways that you can, you can, um, you know, put a proposition in front of someone to test whether they, 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 they actually want your solution or not. Like one of the um, very, um, very clear um, example is when, when Uber first started, it was literally um, one car or two cars, one phone number, and it's a manual process. Like if you want a car and, and if you want, if you want um, someone to pick you up right now, call this number, we'll send someone over. Like that's exactly how they MVP it, right? They didn't build, you know, all the bells and whistles and, you know, they didn't have tons and, you know, tens of thousands of drivers around where you can just you know, click a button and you can see in the map, like where they are. No, none of that. Like it's basically a mobile number. That's the MVP. And, I think a lot of um, you know startup founders um, like currently they they've seen so much like you know twenty years ago is different because the internet was blank mm-hmm. so anything goes as long as you can figure out something that you can do on the internet like um, you, you got a chance right so a lot of their um, startup education around you know um, that's that's available out there are around you know is, it was developed you know twenty years ago. You know, all that, you know, pitch deck and you got to be sneak in your, in your presentation and you go out and pitch for funding, like those kind of things. Like it worked back then, like it worked, but does it work anymore? <laughs> I don't think so. Like who's going to invest on an idea right now? Yeah. Not on the internet. I'm sorry. Like, no, because now the internet is regulated. It's saturated. It, it's got structures to it. And 
I guess that that kind of leads to another observation that I have, which um, a lot of startup founders kind of um, you know overlook, um, especially in Australia. I'm always speaking back to, to, to Australian terms. Um, Australia is a is a very stable country where you know we we talked about the population is small, the market is small. That's why. Um, we cannot allow too many competition in in this kind of um, market environment, right? So, to um, to to create stability, obviously there are certain structures to it, and there are certain ways of you know balancing that kind of um, economic benefits from from both the government point of view and also in the corporate point of view. Um, so, looking at the Australian market, it's like is like um, there there are only you know mostly two or three players in any industry. Right, um, you know, big industries that, that we're talking about, um, just a few players. And for any stuff to crack in, it, it basically is impossible if you do it the same way as um, what is already out there in the industry. And you're just trying to you know, digitize it or, you know, um, throw in a, a couple of jargons in there. Like, that's not going to cut it. And um, the, the more effective way is, you know, go really lean and, you know, I, I would suggest go, go to grassroots, you know, get buy-in from, from users. You know, when you get buy-in from users, the big guys will actually listen to you. But if you, if you don't have anything, you just, um, um, you know, have, you have an idea or you have a platform. And then the, the typical scenario is like, oh, I've got this um, aged care um, solution, ROT, Da, 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 da for aged care. I know, you know, there are there are so many aged care, and I think the government re- really needs to look into this um look into this problem because it's a big problem, right? And we've got the solution. And okay, what's the solution? Um, it, it's irrelevant. Like it doesn't matter. Like what the solution is, even if you have a full blown solution, it doesn't really matter because um the the government or or the very established aged care facilities are not going to adopt a solution whom they have not list um you know, they, they they don't even know who you are and um you don't have track record like why should they put you on a tender list right um it's just unrealistic but if you have gone through the grassroots way where you have um, um, used your solution and um, targeted to individual users um, who might be, you know, living in aged care or they're living at home but thinking to move to an aged care, something like that. I'm just making things up on, on the fly. But um, if if you have targeted a lot of these customers and they all love your solution and they have used it and, and all of a sudden you say, okay, we've got 5,000 individuals um, who are potentially your, your, your customers actually using our solution already. And when they're ready to move into your, your facility, imagine um, you know, um, how, how you can actually accommodate their needs. And we've got this um, proven used by 5,000 people who want to have a chat. Like, that's so much easier. I'm not saying that that's the, that's the, that's the way to go, but um, it's so much easier if I'm at least rated this way. So, this is something, um, you know, first timers or, you know, early um, um, startup founders, they really have to consider. But um, I'm not sure, like, the exact situation over in um, Southeast Asia, but um, from what I'm hearing in, in some parts of the markets, there might be a little bit more room for competition. That's why you can still, um, you know, give it a crack. But um, in Australia, that's relatively hard. Yeah, uh, you're right. There is room to give it a crack uh, in, in these markets in Asia. Just because there's the pure population, like let's just take Vietnam for instance, their GDP growth is is a fraction of what Australia is, but their population is almost four times the amount. It's about ninety mil, mm-hmm. which which like surprised the heck out of me. Uh, as a result, you have you know you have Gra- Uber try to make it in here, just got decimated, got taken over by Grab, uh, which is which is basically the Uber. Um, it's based in Singapore for anyone who's listening yep. or watching. 
Uh, and then you've got uh, GoViet, which is the Vietnamese uh, joint venture kind of version of uh, Gojek coming in. And mm. these two guys, like from a logistics point of view, uh, like ride hailing logistics point of view is, is massive. Then you've got, uh, you've got a whole bunch. You've got like these, oh, I think it was like B, uh, which is another one, which is the yellow. So you, basically you drive down uh, like v- downtown Vietnam and you just see mm. a whole bunch of different colors and you know exactly which brand they're in. <laughs> it's just because there's so much, uh, the population's so big, uh, the yeah. cost to run things is so, um, is so little that you can actually do it. And this is why, like from a startup perspective, you see a lot of foreign investments coming in, like uh, foreigners mm. coming in, they, they're doing their startups here because they can fail and learn, uh, or they can succeed, fail and learn very, relatively cheap. Very quickly as well. Very, very quickly as well. And they can easily see whether or not like this has legs um, or if it's just a bit too early into the market coming through. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, but there, there comes like difficulties as well, like trying to find source talent, for instance. Like people might think, oh, Vietnam, it's really cheap, really cheap labor. Developers, I heard they're really good. We can, yeah, I can get a cheap, you know, I can get, just get a cheap developer in comparison to Australia. It's like, oh, kind of, but not really. Like all the really good ones are like taken over by the big players, like uh, mm. Facebook, for instance. Uh, you know, they're Google making it. Yeah. yeah, and so you've got this, this, you know, the rest, right? But the rest, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a big gap between what's good and what's the rest um, here. So that's, that's the pitfalls when it comes to hiring overseas. Uh, talent uh, to kind of help with their startups. Um, so that's what I've kind of observed uh, working with mm. and, and, and looking towards, um, you know, foreign-based startups uh, based here in Vietnam. Actually, you, you mentioned right. something that was really, really cool, uh, which was before going to grassroots, the reason why you want to go grassroots is because if you go through like the traditional route, you don't have the credentials that, uh, that the established players already have. And I think, and maybe you can, I mean, I would love to hear your thoughts. I believe it's a mentality point of view. It's a cultural mentality point of view. And what I mean by that is Australia is somewhat risk adverse when it comes to investing into new things. Uh, and that's what I kind of see. Like you're seeing now, like we're still investing in mining and resource. Um, and it's, it's like, oh, really? Like coal? We're still investing into coal. Like, what's going on? You know, what about renewable energy and stuff? And I know it's not to say that we don't do it as as Australians, but it's just what you see right now, especially like in the finance market. Like when you look at uh, startups within within like you know fintech perspective, there's just so much regulation, so much checks and balances that need to get through. It's almost like it almost blunts the idea in itself but it's also understandable if you come from a very compliant driven uh, mentality such as uh, culture such as uh, finance as well but what's your thoughts on that okay i I think they're like um if we talk specifically about fintech i think the regulations are absolutely needed (laughs) otherwise things just go so crazy and it's uncontrollable right okay but um there's there's another observation that i have um, and i use this analogy all the time like um you know i I, I tend to look at democracy, right? What's the basis of democracy? Um, it's everyone have said. Mm-hmm. And that's why I suggest startups to go grassroots because, you know, if you have enough citizens buy in, you know, to vote for you, then you get a better chance of going into power. Like that's a very simplistic 
um, interpretation of, of it using using the democracy analogy, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 that's why it's important. Like you 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 try to go into an existing system, right? And there are let's say two established players um, um, in in the market. They're doing really well, and they're the pillars of the of the of the industry. And if they stuff up, like what are the impacts of that industry? Think about it. Like you know, a lot of um, startup founders they know, oh, they're not doing so great. They, this is not good. This is not good. Like it's easy to complain, but right. They have, as um, you know, gone through so much, you know, learnings and you know, time in establishing that kind of structure and ecosystem for any industry. If you look in any industry, it's the same, right? And the impact for for our citizens and everything, like it's it's big, it's big. So that's why they need to take caution. But it's not saying that they are not go, uh, willing to innovate in in that kind of sense, right? But it's just that it's not proven. It's very risky to change all of a sudden. Like we need a plan. So the best plan, and this is actually an opportunity for a lot of them entrepreneurs. So if you go, you know, you know, the grassroots way, like I, I, I accumulate my, my user interest like through time and you build a very good foundation. And then slowly you, you become, you're from a small player, you become a medium player. And then, you know, you get to know the industry a little bit more. You get to mingle with these people. You understand, oh, okay, those are the concerns behind what you're actually thinking, right? And it, these, these things I've just talked about takes years, right? Um, but then at the end of the day, in, in the business world, you, you need bargaining chips. Like, what are your bargaining chips? Like, your idea on a napkin? Like, seriously? No. Like, that's not what, what you're going to, you know, put, put on the negotiating table um, with, with some of these industry leaders um, and, and, and also the government. So, you need buy-in. Yep. Okay. I, I, yeah, I understand that bit. Um, actually, this brings on to another point. Like, I, I would love to get your tips and ideas for any, any startup founders, any organizational business leaders, senior middle management, even producers aspiring to be leaders. You know, we're in this situation right now, like, you know, we're doing lockdown at the moment. Uh, you know, things are starting to ease up somewhat, but we're, we're in this really uncharted waters. This is kind of you know, very uncertain time period at the moment. Uh, for businesses out there, irrespective of whether or not they're startups or small business or, or like you know enterprise level, mm-hmm. is there anything? Is there any advice that you want to give uh, when it comes to you know overcoming adversity, like resilience and change? Given your okay. experience, yeah, I guess um in in particularly in in um, the current situation, I think they're the most important thing for most businesses, regardless of where you are, right? It's engagement with your customer. That's that's the most important thing because the world has changed just because of the pandemic, right? The world has changed. And why has the world changed? It's because of people's mentality has changed. You know, that's the most important thing. And you don't know what they're thinking right now. Like we, we developed a business model 20 years ago and it has been, you know, smooth and we've been, you know, seeing month on month growth and everything because the behavior and their and the mentality has not changed. And that's why you, you can have that kind of growth. But now, all of a sudden, it could mean whatever you've done in the t- last 20 years is not relevant anymore. Even when we come out from the other side, post-COVID-19, the world has already changed because we as humans, like our mentality has already changed. So 
now is the best time to engage with your customer as much as possible. And it, it's, it's also a great time because some businesses actually fail. You know, um, they, they, they for, for whatever reasons, they, they could have failed or they could have closed down or whatever. And what happens to their customers? You know, someone needs to serve them, right? But in a very different way. So now is the time to, to engage with the customer, really um, try to understand, you know, what kind of hardships um, um, you, you're experiencing right now. What has changed? You, you, can, you can do many, many different things, like not surveys, but you, you can do a lot of things to really understand your customer uh, and try to support them as much as possible. Because, you know, it's always when you have hardship, if I give you a hand, you'll probably remember me more than when, when you're doing really well and I, I come and, and congratulate you, right? So uh, I think that is um, probably the, the number one advice I'll give to anyone um, out there. No matter what you're doing, like if you are exploring a new idea, this is a very good way to, to look for um, potential problems out there that is worthwhile for solving. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Like um, I was coaching... Um, uh, a, a, a very early startup, um, like recently um, from from the university, and initially um, it's 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 a it's a three it's a team of three very brilliant um, university students, um, which um, has all kinds of different backgrounds. Like some of them have um, a very deep technical knowledge, some of them have business background, and it's really good. Yes, very brilliant, smart kids. And they initially they they wanted to do um, a solution, which is a, a marketplace where there are certain IoT algorithms on there, uh, where you can you know all you know, all the developers and all the stakeholders can come on this platform, utilize it, and make things together. And and um, I go like like initially like, uh, that was on pre pre pandemic. And I said like even, even so, like this is just generic, and you, you can't reach there day one. Like you you gotta find um, a specific problem where your different components can actually solve and you got to go out there and manually do it once or twice or 10 times, 20 times yourself before you formalize it and systemize it and put it out there and for other developers to, you know, follow some of the instructions and some of the frameworks that you have to develop them to, to use it. Right. And, you know, I haven't met them um, for three, no, actually, yeah, four, five weeks. And um, yeah, met, met with them again last night. Um, right. And now they, they told me, hey, um, taking your advice and um, we have found the right niche. And I go, what, 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 it's great. What is it? And you know, um, because of the lockdown, um, now that um, there are certain regulations on you know, how many people can actually be present in a particular area, you know, especially for licensed premises like bars and clubs and, and you know, those, um, you know, uh, lead clubs and stuff like that. So that's, that's where they have found the niche. And then easily they can adopt their, their um, algorithms tapping into the existing security camera system because it's all network and land. And all they have to do is just put, put an edge computer there running the algorithms and already using um, data that was available in the security system 90 days ago, they, they already analyzed like, you know, um, their, their, their um, people flow and the capacity and everything and train their algorithm in preparation for the lockdown laws to be lifted when people go out there and the first thing that these licensed um, 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 venues are going to face is they need to put a bouncer at every gate to say, oh, okay, no, no, we've got enough here. Let's, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. So now with that, um, that kind of technology, um, they, can, they can really do automatic alerts, you know, or boom gates or whatever. Like it makes it so much easier and it's so much more accurate as well. And 
Yeah, this is a classic example of, you know, um, during tough times, you engage with your customer, you talk to them um, and try to understand their real pain point and also forecast what's going to happen next after after whatever is 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 um is, is finished right and another example is um a lot of restaurants are already looking to um implement automatic doors in in bathrooms because that's that's what i meant by you know the mentality has changed oh no hygiene sanitization like somehow it's already very embedded like even though like you know this is all over and people still have that kind of uh, okay automatic door great look I, I like going to that restaurant like subconsciously it, it, it makes a very big difference yeah, actually, you made a good point. Uh, the, you know, the the hierarchy of needs have changed given what's going on with COVID, uh, and therefore your customers or your potential customers' mentality of a product or a service and its importance relative to everything else has also changed as well. And therefore, as a startup, um, you know, looking to either build a product or pivot off an existing product or existing service into something else that solves a problem within society. I think that's, that's really good. And you made a really good analogy, a really good story with regards to that with, um, with the university, is it university of Sydney or, or university of New South Wales? University of New South Wales. Hey, so, um, you know, I, I know we're finishing up really soon. Uh, but what's your thoughts with regards to startups, the environment, over the say over the next six months, like to the rest of the end of this year, what do you, what do you think the the you know the predictions are with regards to startups? The predictions for startups, I think um, first thing comes to mind, it would be extremely difficult to get capital. Yeah. <laughs> That's um uh, everyone knows about that one. But um like one piece of advice for founders, you know, actually looking to raise capital, um. For all the VCs out there and the investors, they are actually looking at, like they're observing. You know, they're observing two things. One is the market in general. Like um, we talked about the, the change. Like we don't know what's going to change. In Like some industry might be entirely wiped out. We don't know, right? Um, so that's, that's one thing they are, you know, taking, taking a step back and just trying to observe. And the second thing is they're looking for winning teams, right? Who are the winning founding team that can ride through the waves? Like got resilience, it's got creative um, methodologies in you know um, you know looking at the burn rate. Like how, how how do you manage your burn rate in such a um, a big crisis time? And if you can if you can manage them well during this pandemic, the likelihood of you succeeding in the next ten years is you know so much greater. So investors actually at the moment they are not shying away from deal flow. They are still talking to, you know, making interactions with, um, with potential startups, but their, their focus has shifted somehow, right? Um, instead of looking at growth, like that, that's probably not, their, not the first thing they, they, would, um, they would put as a priority, but um, rather, like, what are your plans? Do you have a plan B or plan C, right? Uh, do you have a cockroach, um, um, you know, a survival mode, right? Um, how, how are you going to, to, to cut down on expenses? Like I, I've met um, another, another team the other day, like um, they, they made some really big decisions just because of that, because they, they are so committed in their, in their startup. One, like the two co-founders, right? One of them, um, it's got, it's got a wife and kid and they, um, they've made a really big decision to move back with the in-laws. Wow. Big decision. Big decision. Second, and the second co-founder um, um, is, is another guy. Um, his wife 
has um, made a decision to go into full-time employment so the husband can actually focus full-time on on the startup and they have just by doing that they have created a runway of um, 12 months for themselves wow just like that um, those are very big decisions but you know imagine from from an investor point of view wow you guys did that during during the pandemic right so it says something about this team and your commitment into your solution and your confidence and you know their and the agility of you being able to handle also your personal lives in 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 actually you know balancing that with um, what you're you're doing um, in the commercial world and that's that's quite something. Wow, that's really really good. Hey, so I know we're running out of time, but Jonathan, for anyone who wants to reach out to you or connect with you, what's the best channels to do that? Right, um, I always prefer LinkedIn, so just search for Jonathan Chak on LinkedIn. You should be able to find me. I'm very open to um, connecting to other entrepreneurs or um, uh, basically anyone. Like I'm, I'm open for, for opportunities. And also, you can check out my website, um, www.s3group.com.au. Great. Thank you so much. I'll put that in the show notes below. Um, so thank you so, so much with it. Uh, for everyone else, uh, you know, looking forward to your feedback and everything like that. And until then, I'll see you in the next video. See you guys.